Hi, I'm Johnny Varvel, UK's Editor-in-Chief, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the Varvel Football Podcast. This podcast aims to bring you insight, debate, and entertainment from some of the best and brightest young sports journalists from around the world. Please do give us a listen. You've already started, so I'd recommend staying for a little bit longer at least. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, then please do give us a subscribe. And even better, give us a positive review. Positive reviews are a great way to expand our reach. Not only would this mean a lot to me, but it would mean a lot to over 300 writers that write regularly for Varvel UK. We hope to get as many of them on this podcast as we possibly can over the course of the 2021 to 22 season. Anyway, enough of my waffle. Let's get straight into this. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Hello and welcome to International Break coverage from Varvel UK's football podcast. Uh, of course, you've probably, well, I said last week actually that I would have liked to have changed the intro track, but in traditional international break fashion, I'm being rather lazy. As is my co-host, or, or supposed co-host, Callum, who's hung over, and Brad, who's got coursework, it's valid, uh, after his wonderful appearance last week. And Harry, who was perfectly primed for a, for a time because Eddie Howe's just come in at Newcastle, well, he decided to go to Manchester this weekend. So, wonderfully, I must say, we've actually got the Arsenal editor on. No, not Jake Leach. That was sort of a running gag. We've actually got his replacement, Dan George. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing well, thank you, mate. How are you doing? I'm not doing so bad. I'm not hungover, which is good. Uh, if I was, there probably wouldn't be a podcast. So I sympathise <laughs> with my comrades who are in pain at the moment. But I actually think, I, and it's always something I ask Dan, actually, when it comes to uh, international breaks. It's a really strange time, isn't it? Because no, no one, we all get into the euphoria, or most of us do, when it's the international tournaments. But when it comes to qualifiers... Mm. This is the second one we've had in terms of international breaks since the wonderful European Championships. Yeah. We don't get the same joy and love for it, do we? We just think, ah, oh, we've got to get over this now, don't we? No, um, it is effectively that. I think um, for Arsenal fans in general, though, it's been quite nice this international break, mm. seeing as um, a couple of our own have been called up now. We've got Emil Smith-Rowe and uh, Bukayo Saka and Aaron Ramsdale in the England squad. So it makes a nice kind of refreshing change being able to see them uh, those guys kind of do their stuff on the, the European stage but like you said it's, it doesn't compare to to Premier League football and that that buzz of the the kickoffs and uh, making sure you're, you're there to catch every single moment in the um, as they come in across the Premier League so uh, yeah it, it's not quite the same as Premier League football and yeah I mean it's just a, a couple of weeks or a week of just get over it and then get back to business again, isn't it? Yeah, championship is well affected. What I would say, though, is that it, it does give an opportunity. I mean, I was covering Accrington Plymouth this weekend, and yeah. I'll tell you what a really, really good game of football end-to-end. Mm. Brilliant atmosphere throughout. One thing I noticed, actually, it, you know, it was a very competitive match and the crowd were very loud, but there was so little abuse towards the referee or between the fans. It was all good banter. There was some funny, a bit of swearing, but it was all in good jest. There was some funny chants yeah. throughout. Yeah. I was mm. literally, you know, I thought some of it was hilarious from the Accrington fans. And that was at 3-1 and 4-1 down. And they were mm. still bouncing, you know, the crown ground. It's such, I'll tell you what, it's such a different atmosphere to maybe the, well, 
I, I see a lot of the Burnley games and I've been in London a few for a few games uh, mm. for Varvel and it's very different. The atmosphere is so very different because if a team's losing quite heavily in that sense, yeah. it's quite toxic quite quickly. There's booze, there's anger, 100%. there's frustration. And yet mm. in the, in the, for Accrington, for example, it was just completely, completely different. And there is, see, and it's, it reminded me actually, I used to do, used to cover non, some non league football at Lancaster City Football Club. We used to do, me and my friend used to do commentaries for them. Mm. And similarly, it was such a different footballing experience. Everything was nice, everything was jovial, everything was in good spirits. Do you yeah. think, do you get that sense that when you go to see, maybe on an international break, maybe when the, when the Premier League and the Championship aren't there, when you go to see a lower league team perform and, and, and mm. play, it's very different atmosphere, isn't it? All around the ground, generally. 100%, 100%. Um, e- even just the, the lower, lower leagues of, um, I come from, I'm down in Southampton and there's some some smaller sites outside. You've got Eastleigh Football Club mm. um, and even lower down, you've got like Romsey Town and some other games. And you go there more for a day out, I think, and you go there to meet friends, uh, to have a good time. And um, I don't think the football necessarily lets you stop that. But then when you've got the 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 high standards of the the Premier League and even the, the championship in some some respects, um, I guess when when your team's losing, it is just all doom and gloom. But um, it's more of a day out and uh, fun with your mates mm. down in the lower leagues, as well as some very entertaining football, of course. Yeah. Um, so, well, yeah, like you said, end-to-end stuff and... Uh, yeah, always thoroughly enjoyable and some good food as well. I think if you go down there. Oh yeah, some smashing food, some smashing food. Yeah, they, mm. they definitely do it. They de- and, it and cheap, by the way, cheaper. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those really where yeah. I mean, yesterday's game, for example, I always I always find it interesting because we had uh, there were quite a few of us actually who were sort of there and not necessarily regulars with Accrington or with Plymouth, of course, as as, as you well know, as, as, as I know. Yeah. We generally cover. Premier League. I do cover some EFL, but generally Premier League. So it was a, mm. a step into the unknown, even if Accrington is quite fairly local to me, I'd say. It's about 25, mm. 30 minutes on the train. Deduce if that's local yourself. But I think it's quite interesting. So it was what I found really interesting was two back three systems at play in the League One. And I was saying to um, oh, the, the lovely man next to me, whose name escapes me, uh, Lindsay Sutton, I think, phenomenal journalist in politics and sport. I was saying to him, how amazing it is to see two back three systems in play in League One. It's not something we'd have seen 10 years ago when it was still predominantly back four, 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 two, very direct. And there were still elements of being direct there. Yeah. But it was a lot more tactical than maybe we would have thought back in the day, you know. And it's been mm. a while since I've been down with the pandemic and so on to see lower levels of football. But I don't know what you're thinking of it is seeing these systems at play. It's quite pleasing, isn't it, to see to see them filtered down to the lower levels and seeing smaller teams try and replicate i suppose what's becoming more mainstream at the top yeah definitely definitely there's um i mean you you go down a certain level and you get hoof the ball at the front to whoever's going to chase yeah it. that in the non-league um, to be fair yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah 100 percent. there's there's there is a very high standard of, of football now and there's so much technology in the game now as well when it comes from training to um to actual the games themselves with your statistics and uh, monitoring everything that the players do, um, that I think it's just natural that um, we will see more tactical kind of systems in play um, in these lower leagues, and it's it's very refreshing to see. It's it's enjoyable to see, and um, I think as soon as the FA Cup starts, I'll enjoy starting to watch some of the more of those games on TV when mm. when you have those lower league teams. And I mean, to be fair, that's the magic of like 
the FA Cup when it does start again. I mean, that's coming up soon, roughly, isn't it? Around the, the new well, year. Yeah, the, the first and second rounds have already started, haven't they? So it, people really yeah. get into that at this mm, moment. When when the, the other kind of big hitters start to come into it. Mm. And I remember I remember a couple of years ago Arsenal played oh, I can't remember was the name Sutton? of the team. Was it Sutton, Sutton United, yeah. I think it might have been, but I remember it was um the team had, I think it was Wayne Shaw on the I think it was um, Sutton, yeah. On, on the bench at the time and there was some sort of he got in trouble for, for match fix well it wasn't match fixing sorry it was a there was there was odds on a bet for if Wayne Shaw reached a pie yeah. or something like that and then he was just on the sidelines scoffing down a pie whilst he was actually on the bench yeah whilst Arsenal were playing um, it's just the magic of the competitions isn't it and mm-hmm. the lower leagues and to think that back in oh, when was it a, a, like half a year ago whenever the whole Super League situation was happening that yeah. this football pyramid could just be completely abandoned is almost just a a slap in the face to the magic of and the brilliance of these uh the lower leagues of football yeah no i completely agree completely agree uh and the, as you say the fa cup first and second round first round happened the second round about, uh, about to happen and the third round yeah. around january as well so that should be interesting for all involved um mm. Yeah, I, I mean, to be fair, just to give a shout out to Ryan Broom, I thought he was outstanding yesterday. Championship player on loan from Peterborough in League One. I thought it showed like championship class, really mm. thriving in the in a, in a three man midfield where the wing backs provided such width, stretched the team, and it all stretched Accrington so well. They both played with wing backs, but Plymouth really used it to their advantage. And Broom was sort of operating as in the three-man midfield, almost a free roll, creating lots, scoring a belt in finish from 30 yards. And he was an absolute... I mean, John Coleman, the African Stanley boss after, was waxing lyrically about him. It was a you know, a phenomenal game for him. <laughs> I'll tell you what I found what was interesting as well. Um, we, in the Premier League, when it comes to press conferences, they are done virtually via Zoom. Now, yeah. in League One, they were done pitch side, which, which I had no idea about because I thought if you were to do it on Zoom, it would be reflected across... The entire football league because it's to do with social distancing, so everyone's going to yeah. contribute like that. Well, that wasn't the case because they, as I was waiting, I went to the toilet just after full time, came back waiting for the Zoom. Little did I know, I thought where did it, where quite a lot of people gone. I wasn't sure, and then they were all congregated on the pitch yeah. with the recorders out talking to the uh, Ryan Lowe, the Plymouth manager, which took me by complete surprise. I thought, well, I can't go now, can I? So I missed out on those quotes because I just had no idea. But I suppose <laughs> it's something that happens in, in, in the lower leagues, I guess. I, I don't know, but to be fair, I wouldn't mind to do the normal press routine with the Premier League. I mean, I thought it was all social distancing based, but apparently not. Apparently in League 1 or League 2, it's just YOLO kind of territory. Yeah, yeah. Where, where, I think they're bringing back. I think they're bringing back the in-person press conferences I'm pretty sure there was one at um, London Colney the other day, and I think Premier League teams are starting to slowly bring it back. But yeah, we've seen a lot of the whole the Zoom the Zoom press conferences and stuff like that. Um, a bit awkward. Yeah, hopefully a, a slow a slow step back to normality and these in person ones. By all accounts, the Championship is sort of they're going by in person as well. Some of the clubs and that's sort of. Mm. And that's been filtered there. So I've no idea why we're sort of still going with the Zoom. I mean, we did, We I was at the Chelsea-Burnley game last weekend, I think. Yeah. And Sean Dyche, we couldn't hear a word of him because the technology wasn't working from his side. So I thought, well, you know, couldn't we just do this in a room like we used yeah. to do? It just seems outrageously... Mm. I don't know. I, well, but again, I just attributed it to social distancing. But then when you see League One, League Two and many championship clubs operating as normal, mm. then you think, What's the point? Um, so it's it, very, very bizarre. Anyway, go back to a bit of the international football in terms of, well, 
England did play. I'll be honest with you, I didn't watch all of it, but I watched a good good <laughs> chunk of it. It's yeah. you know, it's one of those, isn't it? I found what I found really interesting. We're talking about back threes. England going mm. with with the with the Chelsea Tuchel setup of, of James and Chilwell as the wing backs did really yeah. well actually stretching a mm. very poor Albania team. But yeah. when you but finally up at half time and then the second half was a doozy. So yeah, I mean that. Do you think that's we've seen it before with England? We've seen them utilize wing backs before. Do you think this is? Would you say this is the way forward? Do you still prefer the back four? What's your thoughts on it from the national team's perspective? I'm never a fan of a back five, personally. Um, we, we are going to see many more back fives in the Premier League with Conte now being another person coming back and Tottenham um, will most likely start to play that back five system that he knows and loves. Obviously, like you said, Tuchel plays it. Mm. Um, back fives, I feel like it's slightly screwed over England in the summer mm. when um played the whole tournament with a back four. Mm. And then for the final, uh, dropping Saka and bringing in Trippier in uh for a back five i feel like it kind of it was it was a bit underwhelming and unfortunate well, in that the game. germany game wasn't there as well where germany were going three four three and i think england matched them up in that I think. yeah something like that but i remember we had a lot of a lot of success throughout the tournament with um a back four i yeah. thought personally and i think with the the attacking talent that england have i think it's just a little bit rude to to miss some of those players out and i know England beat Albania 5-0 and it was a very good dominant first half performance. But you've just got to look at it and go, I mean, when you saw the lineup and it was, I believe, Phillips and Henderson in midfield. And again, testament to Phillips. He's been fantastic since his inclusion in the England squad since uh, the Euros and um, has been a big part of that lead setup. Um, but you just think that to then only have, what, um, three attackers in front of, the, the two midfield and then a, a defensive five, it's just a bit underwhelming. But there again, the the um the talent that the the wing backs have within Southgate's system, um, are very promising and exciting too. Um, I personally wouldn't like just to answer your question. I personally wouldn't go with a back five. But there again, it's Southgate's way, and if it continues to have success in in different areas, then you got you got to stick with it and respect the man for it. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, to counter that point, you said there's a lot of attacking options, but also the depth at right back in particular is out is outrageous. You've yeah, got Kyle yeah. Walker, Trent mm. Alexander-Arnold, you've got Reese James. Further down the line, you've got people like Tarek Lamptey as well. Yeah. So obviously he's still coming mounting and coming back from a long-term injury, but he Max Aaron's as well yeah. of Norwich. Yeah. Yeah. So it, there's so much there is Kieran Trippier, but obviously. Yeah, a little bit more on the veteran side now, but still very, very capable. Yeah, it's it's a striking amount, and Wambisaka if he wants to get involved. Wambisaka, yeah, 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 that's so, a, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, so so there's a whole host of options there, and what mm -hmm. one thing you can do with the back three, with the back three, I'd prefer to call it a back three than a five, is mm. you can put one of those maybe slightly more physical options, maybe Reese James, even though he's thriving at right wing back, has been known to play right centre back. You could slot him in there, or you could slot Kyle yeah. Walker in there. Yeah. And you've either got a right wing back, you've either got Trent Alexander-Arnold or Reese James, and that yeah. sort of suits them more. I'd even say it suits, it's probably arguably the best position for Trent Alexander-Arnold in the England team because... Yeah, it gives him a bit more of a licence to go forwards. Yeah, Liverpool, he goes forward willy-nilly, but then Henderson's always got the cover. He's almost told, you're a passive midfielder sometimes. When Trent Alexander-Arnold goes forward, we want you to stop yeah. anyone coming in behind in those gaps. With England, it's not like that. It's a lot more... It's a lot less, it's a lot more of an orthodox right back position. But yeah. as a right wing back, 
like you say, I think he can be given that license to go up and down. But at the same time, Reese James yeah. is absolutely killing it at the moment for Tuchel in mm, that system. So, 100%. But he can also play right centre-back. But then at the same time, Kyle Walker has had a lot of success playing right centre-back. And he's almost yeah. a cheat code for anyone trying to hit England on the counter-attack. Because I think Kyle so Walker in that Carl Walker in that right centre back role is my preferred like option. I, I don't think you go for three centre backs. I think, no. despite what everyone said about oh, why is he taking four, three right backs, four right backs to the Euros? I think in that back three role, Carl Walker is that, like you said, is a cheat code. He's ridiculously fast mm. um, to anyone trying to get in behind, or and he's very solid as well. I think, and yeah, um, he can also make those uh, long bursting runs through the the centre of defences and. Um, still provide decent uh, backup in that right-back role if needed. But I think just the way James, Reese James has been playing in Trent, I mean, healthy competitions, everything, mm. but I don't know if I could pick between the two as to who you'd have in there at the mm. moment. Yeah. No, it's very, very difficult. I mean, you talk on the not having three standard centre-backs. I'm sort of inclined to agree because mm. you can have interchangeable formations when you have someone who's not ordinarily a full-back in that centre-back position. Usually you put mm. a full-back that's better defensively than they are going forward in that yeah. wide centre-back position as Piliqueta being one. Yeah. I'd probably say Wan-Bissaka could be amazing in a back three as a, as a right side. Potentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's usually the avenue that they go down for the wide centre-backs. Usually a full-back that is defensively excellent and not quite as good going forward. Or sometimes, I know Antonio Conte likes to go with three centre-backs out and out, which is also fine. But when you yeah. have... And also, actually, well, Brighton do sometimes, but Joel Veltman can also go as, 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 a, as a fullback as well. So it depends. They can do both. But mm. I guess it depends because when you have that, it can become a 4-3-3 almost or a 4-2-3-1 where that wing back comes into midfield and yeah. the uh, into inside positions. And then the right-sided or left-sided centre-back goes into the ordinary right back or left back position and then suddenly mm. it's a four and you think oh what's going on here because yeah. it's, I remember Glenn Hoddle was saying quite wonderfully actually on BT Sport a while ago that when he was he was sort of picking an England 11 for the Euros and he was mm. looked all a bit weird and he had Sterling at left wing back and everyone's going what's going on and he said well yeah. that's not where he's going to play all the time this is one phase of the formation that the team play because sure. when we put a team out and say Right, this is this is this is a four-three-three. Well, yeah. it is, but it isn't. Mm. There's an inside of possession one. There's an outside of possession one. There's the, we're yeah, going exactly. to be like this for ten minutes. We're going to be like this yeah. for fifteen. So, having a having that fluidity, I suppose, makes your point. I suppose of having fullback in the in the back three, it helps, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I've got to say as well. Like I, I know there might be a slight um, error of bias in this, but I would love to see Ben White in a back three for England. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think he's fully. I don't think it's a biased opinion to say that he deserves to be in that England squad. I think Tamori as well. There's a big shout yeah. for Tamori. A bigger shout, um, I think, for Tamori. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, Tamori. How I know there's a whole era of Southgate has his favourites, and mm. um, I mean that you you can't read into that too much, I guess. But how Tyrone Mings, who can't even go to get into Villa's side at the moment, and mm. Connor Cody have got into that squad with um, ahead of White and Tamori. Mm. Um, Again, who are two players in form at the moment is just yeah. kind of slightly beyond me. But um, yeah, I think, I mean, hopefully, um, looking forward, we'll be able to get them involved in the England setup because they are both very, two very talented players at the moment, I believe. Interesting, actually. You mentioned why, so I'll ask you about it. You'll know. Mm. Um, 
back three, he was on the right side of a back three for Brighton with Lewis Dunk in the middle, Lewis Dunk being more physical, stronger, and yeah. sort of setting the tone, the, the leader, essentially, of the mm. Brighton back three. And Ben White thrived in the right side of centre-back position. Yeah. It, you wouldn't say he could go into England's right-back centre-back position. Do you think he could go in the centre-centre-back? But then the argument I have asking you that in my head is, is he physical and commanding enough to be the centre-centre-back or would he have to be the right centre-back? I think potentially you'd have him as that right centre-back. Um, but there again, like you said, right, Carl Walker... Carl Walker. I mean, the thing is, though, with Ben White, he's good enough on the ball to be a, a midfielder. He played in midfield many times for Graham Potter's Brighton. Um, that's how good he is on the ball. And Arsenal fans have seen that this season um, throughout his his time at the Emirates. And um, I remember talking to some Brighton fans and they said that the whole his on the ball stuff and the way he burst through the midfield. Um, yeah, it was good at Brighton, um, but he was in, he had cover. There was an extra man in defence. Mm in that back three, back five, how, whatever you want to call it. Um, and they're like, oh, we don't know if he could do that in a back four. But I think him and he, Gabriel... He is doing, isn't he? Yeah, him and Gabriel in that back four for Arsenal. Um, and obviously the rest of the, the defenders, Tommy Ashu, Kiantini, Tavares, whoever plays, um, have been incredibly solid. But I think him and Gabriel are learning on the job, if that makes sense in a way. They're still learning as they go um, in that back four. Again, we've only seen that since... I believe it was Norwich at home, which was three, four games into the season. Um, so I think he's learning on the job, but Ben White is a very young, exciting centre-back. And um, I do think he has an England future. Uh, just He's just on the ball. He's technically excellent. So, yeah, really excited to see see what can happen with that in future call-ups, hopefully. Uh, yeah, uh, as am I. And Tamori, you mentioned as well. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Tamori too. Yeah, massively. Yeah, Very super, talented guy. Super player, super player. Mm. You mentioned, uh, well, obviously, while we're on the topic of England, interesting, Gareth Southgate, wonderful job that he's done, no doubt. I probably argued, the, well, it's not even an argument, really, the best England manager of the 21st century, I think, for what he's done on and yeah. off the pitch. Yeah, I think you've got to say that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Been fantastic. So there's been reports in the Telegraph, I think, this week that have suggested that he's about to put pen to paper on another three-year contract, making him the highest-paid England manager of all time. Yeah, obviously that's not. You've got to count inflation into that, I suppose. <laughs> you know, the, yeah, of course, yeah. up a little bit. But yeah. it's interesting. My, I, as I've just said that, and I, I completely stand by it. I also said that I sort of attribute it to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer a little bit. Mm. I always said with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he's the best Man United manager post Sir Alex Ferguson for what he's done for the club, bringing back the feel good factor, two back to back Champions League finishes, sustainability. Bringing Could you say that more than more than Mourinho though? Because he what he won, I guess I don't know. He won, but he did. He won the Europa League. He won yeah. the Carabao Cup, and then he obviously won the it's two and a half trophies, isn't it? He? he said three, the treble. He won the Community. Yeah, Street. but yeah. He, then it was second place playing quite poor football, and yeah. then the third season it all collapsed. Now Solskjaer made it in two seasons. He got. Uh, Champions League football because of course when he won the when he won those two trophies he finished sixth in the league yeah he finished yeah. sixth in the league so mm. Solskjaer to get third then second and to keep that feel good factor going and I I say that as well I don't want to detract too much from this but I'm just trying to answer your question yeah. uh, when he had, when he had that summer window actually when it was the when it was the lockdown period and they signed Van der Beek who he didn't really want by all accounts mm. they signed yeah. an over the hill Cavani who's done well in patches to be fair and phenomenal player. Yeah. And they signed Alex Telles, who can't get in the team past Luke Shaw, or who yeah. couldn't. 
And he managed to get better than the season before. I think that was a phenomenally underrated achievement to go from third to second with largely the same set of players when other teams had, had really pushed on. Yeah. And, and, he, and coming into this season, I thought he'd done a tremendous job at United. And I sort of, with the same kind of characteristics that Sol, that Solskjaer, that Southgate did with England, he's respectful in the media. He's well respected by all the players. The players really like him. The players mm. really, I still believe the players really like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Man United. Yeah. I don't think he's a tactically astute manager in terms of when you, well, I think he's a very good tactician, but I don't think he's up there with the elite tacticians of the world. I think yeah. that's fair to say. Mm. And the worry is the same worry, I suppose, that many would have had with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer before this season. Maybe you started to see it now. Did a wonderful job. No one's denying it. But there is a time when the job and the ex- and the expectation might leapfrog the manager who's in there. I think we're mm. seeing that this year at Man United where people wanted a title challenge. Ronaldo came in, Varane came in, Sancho came in. Yeah. And the cards are falling down quite quickly. Mm. And with every and with every month year that comes with this young England squad, there's got the expectations going to be astronomical, especially after a Euros final. Yeah, yeah. And the question, I suppose, is even though he probably warrants a new deal because he's, as quoted, best twenty first best England manager of the twenty first century, is there a danger that uh, Southgate could almost go the Solskjaer way and almost outstay his welcome and then kind of a little bit tarnish the wonderful job he's already done? Potentially, um, I think. I don't know. I think after what happened in the in the summer i think you've got to give him that new deal i don't know if it was a two or three year deal i i think three i, year deal, I think. saw it might have been okay um well regardless i think i don't know it's an interesting one because i remember doing some research on this a while ago and southgate still says he has he feels he has unfinished business at club level mm. um and he wants to be a club level manager at some point but then at the same time i look at southgate's ability as a manager and i don't know if i can see him getting a top six job in the Premier League, mm. at least a top six job. I don't think he can get potentially a top 10. I don't know. But what I are his weaknesses know. then? I think, I, I just think that for the squad England have, as far as the attacking talent, I think the, the attacking, I, I don't know if this is a bold claim, but I think they're on par mostly attack, attack wise with the likes of your France's, your Belgium's. Um, as far as how good the squad is and the depth and attack. Like, you're leaving players like James Madison at home. I know despite his injuries, um, who's who's just... A, he is a very special player. And there was there was countless, countless players that um, England did leave at home for the Euros tournament. Um, France, again, the squad depth is ridiculous. But I think when you're on par with those squads, I think you should you should be... I don't know how to say it, but I feel like for the quality of some of the performances, we've not really seen the full extent of how good England can be and how good this squad can be. Um, I'm not saying formations and back fives is the reason because of this, but I feel that potentially someone, a more proven manager in some respects could get a lot more out of this England side, if you know, if you know what I'm saying. You say maybe overly pragmatic, maybe. What was that? Sorry. Uh, would you say overly pragmatic? Potentially, I don't know. I I just look at someone like 
But then the, the argument comes with then who could you get in? And then there's, there's not really a market at the moment for people that could come in and take over that England role. Um, but Southgate, I think, I think you've got to give him, you've got to give him the two year, three year deal. I think, sorry. It, I think um, it might be two actually. Now you say it, because I think it goes, it's to the end of the 2024 tournament, isn't it? The yeah, argument would yeah. be surely if they bombed in, if they maybe poor choice of words, they did poorly in Qatar, mm. then then it would be a different conversation altogether because he was... Just because he signs it doesn't mean he's going to be there for the full extent of the contract as well. No, I true, guess. true. Um, I don't know. I, I think personally, I think you've got to give Southgate the contract, um, the new contract. And um, from what England and the FA have said, they're all very, very happy with what he done, he's done so far. Um, and again, the way that the country came together, you yeah, could also yeah. argue that... Um, Southgate and the way that he manages and plays, he's very good with that kind of man management and team. Oh, he is, yeah. Um, like the way the way of gelling the team and bonding the team mm-hmm. and kind of getting everyone together to to play and just giving people that freedom to go and play as well, compared to maybe a disciplined manager such as that would come in and say, This is a structure we work by, this is what you have to do. Giving players that freedom and the, the attacking players we have to have the freedom to go play. Um, could be the reason behind the success of like a Raheem Sterling from the mm-hmm. from the Euros. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think um, I, I fully expect Southgate to to yeah. sign this new deal, and um, I think it will be interesting to see after this um, if he is to go back to club managing the um, how well he does at that level. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there was an there was a debate on Talksport. I think that Simon Jordan said that Southgate would struggle to get a job in the Premier League. Do you think that's fair? I don't think he gets into a top six team no. um, at, at all, to be honest. Um, I could potentially, potentially a team like, I think he needs to prove himself in the Premier League. Like maybe a team like Southampton mm. could be a good place for him to go to um, before they're making a step up. Um, but I don't, if the, for example, if Southgate didn't sign a new contract and they, Manchester United did sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I couldn't see him going to Manchester United. Oh, just no, because no, 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 no. He's, he's nowhere near ready for a job of that, of that calibre and that pedigree. So um, he's fully got the potential to go on and be that manager, but I just don't think that he is at that stage yet. Yeah, no, I completely, yeah, it's, it, it was an interesting one. Yeah, I think, I think it's very different being an international manager and a club manager. And I think that mm. the, the different skills are on. I mean, I still think Jose Mourinho could be a very good international manager while thinking also that his yeah. club management days could be at an end. It's almost like how much mm. can you inspire the players, rouse the players, get the players going as opposed to, right, how are we tactically going to do this? But at the same yeah. time, Roberto Mancini managed to do both. He's a fantastic tactician as well. And it showed with Italy yeah. the Euros where they dominated mm. most games. They tactically changed against England in the second half of the final. And that's why they won so mm. um, I think I'd be interested to see Frank Lampard if if he was ooh. to be given the England job I mean it's a sh- I think it's I think it's a it's a bit of a bold shout but I think Frank Lampard would be an interesting one not to I wouldn't I wouldn't want him to come in and take over from Southgate now but if they were no. looking to to hand over the reins and Lampard could go and find a, a managerial job for the next couple of years and then maybe in four years time I think I'd be mm. interested to see someone like him or maybe a Steven Gerrard or someone take that England side, which we, we could potentially see. Yeah, I think it's a it's a fair point. Um, I think, I, I mean, as I say, I think Jose Mourinho for me would probably be the... As England manager? Yeah, yeah. 
I, 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 I know I, some some people said Arsene Wenger, but I don't I don't know if we'll see Arsene Wenger make a return to um, any kind of management. No, I, for the reasons I've, I mentioned before, I think he'd be very very. He could be very 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 good. And yeah, I think I think, yeah. I think his future could lie in international management. Actually, ahead of definitely club. Roma is doing okay, not pulling up too many trees, but. Mm-hmm. In time, yeah, I'm with you. I'd like to see Southgate. I certainly wouldn't be thinking of getting rid of Southgate anytime soon. Yeah. Again, mm-hmm. there's that. There's that. Do we do we jump on with a contract or do we do we just sort of let it play out and see what happens? It looks like they're going to go in the contract before the tournament. We'll have to mm-hmm. wait to see how that happens. Again, I, I, it's it's. I'm I'm being I'm playing a game with my in my own head here because at the same time I'm saying he's the best manager we've had. England's had in the 21st century. I'll repeat that and. He deserves a contract if he gets it, but yeah, sometimes you've got to sort of preempt that, look ahead, and think. Actually, mm. is is this gonna is this gonna work out? Are we gonna push on after a semi final and a final? Theoretically, it should yeah. be a win next time, but you never know. It doesn't always you've, work. You've like got that. to look at the way the players talk about him. I'd, yeah. I've never heard a player say a bad word about Gareth Southgate no. as well. So, um, they they always very much um, big him up, and they always say that his man management is superb and. Um, I think hats off to him for that. Um, he's he's brilliant at that, and um, I, I think I, I don't think anyone wants to see him fail. I think everyone wants to see him do well, and everyone wants to see him. Well, if he can get that one last push and bring the trophy home in um, Qatar, um, have you seen have you seen the um, the schedule for that? By the way, it's mad, isn't it? It's absolutely it is a bit mad. crazy. Because hasn't ha- haven't all the Premier League clubs rejected it or something? Quite possibly, yeah. I mm. mean, it, it finishes on the 18th of December and then starts yeah. the, the, the Boxing Day. It's <laughs> also the actual uh, the Premier League starts on Boxing Day, sorry, and then the actual start date of the of the tournament's only a few days after the the end of the when Premier League's supposed to finish. So yes, yeah. it's yeah. mental. Yeah, God knows, God knows what's going to happen. It's uh, <laughs> it's 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 a minefield. I mean, how 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 that has ever happened. How that ever came to be is a, is a, mm. I mean, I, I mean, quite I mean like close, to, Go on. close to the time you've, you've got AFCON coming up in yeah. um, a couple of, well, what's that? Right. Next month, isn't it? Players will have to leave for. Yeah. So that's like a good tester, isn't it? No, well, yeah. no, it's not really because then the games are, players aren't really, because the Premier League isn't going ahead while the World Cup goes ahead. But yeah, it's just crazy. It's my, how that ever happened that came to be is, a, is crazy, crazy, crazy. It's just all, all COVID, isn't it? And well, Qatar, isn't it something to do with the heat as well? Of uh, In their summertime, it just isn't realistic to have such a big scale tournament played and hosted in a country like that. Well, yeah, but I mean, the, the idea of a Winter World Cup is actually quite an interesting one anyway, isn't it? So we'll just Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, yeah. Mm. But the, the whole idea of being in Qatar anyway is a bit like... Well, how did that come to be? But I suppose that's yeah. that's political, isn't it? Um, mm. go, going back to, we'll, we'll leave that for a, break, a breather then as well. Um, we'll go to the go to the interesting events actually, just before the international break. Well, actually, it sort of happened around the international break, didn't there? So many managerial appointments, it's been crazy. And I suppose, yeah. just on a, on a general level, I suppose those it's the best time to do it, isn't it? Because you have you have a small break before all the cluster of games at Christmas, and it gives you an opportunity really to then. Uh, to then bed the manager in and, and get and get them prepped for the squad. I mean, it's not a lot of time, but it's better than mm. you know. We've got a game in two days time. Yeah, I yeah, think, definitely. Yeah. So we'll start with. I suppose we could start with I mean, Eddie Howe. That, yep. that that was that was not really a, a surprise at all, was it? Really, after Unai Emery fell through, I think that was one yeah. After was. after Unai Emery fell through, it only looked like there was one man. But um, I know. I mean, at one point it looked like Unai Emery might be the man to take over um, from Steve Bruce at Newcastle. Um, again, I think he would have been a very good appointment, but I think Eddie Howe is, uh, again, um, 
a very exciting appointment for Newcastle fans. Um, uh, being from down south, I've been to a lot of Bournemouth games when he was down here. And the journey that Eddie Howe did when he brought them up from was at League Two all the way up to the Premier League. Um, you just got to applaud it and you've just got to... Um, I think it was a fantastic achievement, um, even though they did go down um, in the season he left. Um, I think Eddie Howe's a fantastic manager um, and it's a very exciting appointment for Newcastle fans and um, I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, and I think Newcastle fans deserve it, to be honest. Well, he used to, um, And if he can keep them up, if he can keep them up, that's a, a fantastic achievement with the squad they've got because, I mean, it's not going to be an easy task for him at all. Well, he had a period. He had a period at Burnley actually, where he was yeah. he built a very attacking team that couldn't defend, mm. and that was the only issue. Went before Sean Dyche came in. Sean Dyche came in and added that defensive solidity. Yeah. Eddie Howe, I think, almost carried that to Bournemouth. Really, the fantastic footballing team in the top yeah. flight, and then mm. they, just, they just struggled a little bit when it came to keeping the ball out of the back of the net, defending yeah. leads. Inevitably, they fell on their own sword. I think like that because it just. Just, just, just a bit too haphazard at the back, really, wasn't it? Uh, at, the, at the end, I yeah. think, I think it, when you comp- when you look at the Bruce era and towards the end, and they really they couldn't really defend too well, they couldn't really attack very well. It was all through Alan St. Maximum, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. He's a superstar, but what you'll get with Eddie Howe, I think, is someone who can coach, build up play, coach intricate attacking philosophies. It's gonna. He's not necessarily going to shore up the defense. He's not got a track record of doing that. But what he does have a track record mm. of doing is playing football in a progressive way, creating lots of opportunities and, and scoring lots of goals. So I suppose... You know, when... he, he, he's going to get the best out of Callum Wilson as well, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I believe. Yeah. Um, he, he knows Callum Wilson better than any other manager will do. So, um, yeah. Bournemouth up in Newcastle. A lot of the older Bournemouth players. Matt Ritchie as well, isn't he? Yeah, he's yeah. Up there at the moment. So. Fraser, that wasn't a good one, was it? Brian yeah. Fraser, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. On a free transfer. But um, yeah. yeah, no, I think it's an exciting appointment and uh, looking forward to seeing what Eddie Howe can do up there. Yeah, I'd say Premier League proven. I think they've done quite good with that appointment. They could have done worse. Unai Emery probably would have been better, but again, they, they, that didn't necessarily... Because I think Unai Emery probably would have found a way to keep that defence more solid and get them get them in a more defensively organised shape. And I don't think how's the man to do that, but I think he'll provide a bit more excitement for the people that watch uh, Newcastle regularly. I think long-term, I think long-term Emery might have had a bit more attraction of yeah, European that's players well, yeah. that's true. Um, from players wanting to come and play for him. But there again, Eddie Howe, again, it's not a bad appointment at all. I think he's a, a fantastic appointment and uh, looking forward to seeing what he can do. Yeah. Another appointment actually that that happened. To, well, I, I was quite surprised by this actually, but Stephen Gerrard to Aston Villa. Dean yeah. Smith going, I was talking to Brad about this last week and we sort of said that, well, there was always a question mark with Dean Smith when Jack Grealish wasn't available. He had Grealish at the hub of everything, which makes sense. But when he was injured last season, they struggled to come up with anything. And yeah. when he was sold, similarly, they've they've had a struggle to find a way of playing that's in, or a system that can replace that one player. It was almost an over-reliance yeah. on Grealish. And they yeah. have some very, very good players, actually, do Aston Villa at their disposal. But... Well, first of all, what were your thoughts on the Smith sacking, actually? Because we didn't, me and Brad discussed this last week, but you didn't. And then secondly, yeah. were you surprised that Gerard was the man to replace him? What's the first question, sorry? The... Uh, so what, what did you think about the Smith sacking in the first place? I think it was, um, I, I saw some Villa fans' reactions and I know some Villa fans and they, um, I think 
I don't know. But I, again, personally, I, I don't, I haven't seen too much of Villa. If I'm being honest, um, this season, I've seen bits and pieces. I know they, um, they started off pretty well with Danny Ings scoring a, an overhead kick, which is very much engraved in my memory. Um, and um, they did seem to make a, um, a fairly decent uh, start, but from a lot of people um, on Twitter, uh, I know, and I know you shouldn't judge everything you see off Twitter. No. Um, but I think a lot of people there were saying that potentially it's time for change. Um, but there again, a, a lot of people did seem to say it might have been a bit of an early change. So um, again, my my opinion on the sacking, I don't know. It was it was pretty reactionary, but then potentially it could be proactive depending on seeing how Gerard gets in and if he can can bring that. Um, a style of play and an identity back there. They've got some exciting players. Buendia, what was it? 15 goals, 15 assists in the championship last season, I believe it was. Yeah. Um, Danny Ings, a proven Premier League striker. Mm. Um, and then Leon Bailey, an exciting winger. Um, mm. uh, the, the potential that Aston Villa have is is very high and I think they could be a solid Premier League club. Mm. Um, but is like I said, it is a big test for Gerard now. Um, again, I can't say I saw much of him when he was at Rangers. Um I know, didn't he? He won. He won the Scottish League, didn't he? He won the Scottish Celtic. League. I think one of the one of the notable things actually, he won the Scottish League against one of the worst Celtic teams of recent memory. Yeah, Neil Lennon yeah. really awful. Mm. Um, no, it's sad really because Neil Lennon's a, a Celtic legend and, and he's a lovely man by all accounts. But he was just yeah. absolutely not the right man for that position at the time mm. and symptomatic yeah. really of a quite average manager and mean that with the most utmost respect. And it was a quite below average Celtic team. So they were, it yeah. was destined not to do that well. And mm. obviously, but Rangers did win the league and they won the league by a canter. What I think was more noticeable though and, and almost more impressive was how they did in the Europa League. They got to the knockouts. That's not yeah. an easy thing for a Scottish club. And again, with the utmost respect intended there. And they, yeah. they, they went on a little European run. And this season, they were also in, they're also at the top of the table when he left. So while you look at his domestic form and think, well, Celtic are in a mess and ha- or, or, mm. and were in a bigger mess last year when when Rangers won their first title in such a long period of time. Yeah. What was noticeable is the the efforts in Europe, and that's a bit more of a, a testament to to Gerard's efforts, which were mm. to to integrate a press into their team to get them moving the ball quickly, and to play with passion. And ultimately, he managed to get. He managed to get the, the you know the best results that Rangers have had in a very very long time. So yeah. there is ultimately, like you say, a lot of expectation because there were a lot of things that you could say in that job that went for him mm. in terms of the domestic success at least. But Europe, we could take a bit. You know, you could take a bit more from the European results. At Aston Villa, it's it, I I was surprised he took it to be honest with you because he's on course for a second Scottish League title. He's still relatively new into the managerial game. And by taking this job, he's kind of messed his reputation up with the Rangers fans a little bit, similar to when Rodgers left Celtic, but Rodgers was an established manager then, so yeah. not quite mm. as, as big, maybe. So he's left that position. He's ruined that reputation to a point or tarnished it a little bit. And now he's yeah. coming into a job where there is a big expectation to do well. There is a group of players that don't necessarily have the identity already. So he has to go and create one. And he's Mm. got to do that again without having Grealish, who Smith heavily relied upon last season and the clubs heavily relied upon for many seasons. If this goes wrong, his opportunity to replace Jurgen Klopp in a few years' time 
goes up in smoke. Whereas that's, if, that's a mm, if that's a big that's a big shout. Well, yeah, I feel like you can't jump the gun too much with Gerard on that one. Um, I think this is his first. Again, no disrespect to the Scottish League, but in my opinion, the Premier League is levels above the Scottish League, and I think this is where we see if Gerard has that potential to be a solid Premier League manager. And if there's any hope of him becoming Liverpool manager in the future, I feel like he's, he's got a walk before he can run. Liverpool is a massive, massive, too far off in the distance, I think, um, to even begin thinking about for him. We he's say just... that, but his contract runs out at the same time Jürgen Klopp contract. Jürgen Klopp's yeah, contract runs out. I guess that there's a narrative to be written there. Um, but at the same time, and, and I mean, Liverpool fans can dream, Premier League fans can dream. He's a Premier League legend. Um, even though he never never won it, but um, <laughs> he's a pre- yeah. he is a Premier League legend, one of the best midfielders to play um, in the Premier League and um, for England. And um, I think it is a massive test for him um, doing this with with Villa and a, a Villa team that isn't exactly like you said high flying right now. Um, yeah. But there again, uh, there is a lot of resources at Villa, and if he can keep them up this season, um, looking forward to seasons in the future he can he can build something special there uh because yeah like i said there's resources at villa they've got money to spend um it's it's quite an attractive proposition i remember david ornestine saying a couple of days ago um it was one of the most attractive jobs in england right now um with what they have there and um yeah i think he can definitely make something special there and like i said with um eddie howe at newcastle i'm excited to see what what gerard can do and it only strengthens the premier league as a competition as a league uh, we're seeing such a much higher calibre of managers coming in now and it only makes it tougher for everyone and everyone's now got to up their game even more. So um, I don't think there is any easy games in the Premier League anymore, no matter who you've got. Mm. Yeah, no, no, that's fair. I think there's a lot for Gerald to prove. Dean Smith there as well, quite amusingly now, could be on the way to Norwich or looks like he's yeah. on the way to Norwich. Looked like it was going to be Frank Lampard. That didn't work out. I mean, I, it was Talk Sport, the source, wasn't it? That there said are a few Lampard. sources. Oh, okay. Lampard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are, no. Yeah. So Lampard was was in talks and then turned yeah. down the project because he didn't necessarily, he wanted a different kind of project. I don't yeah. know. So that's fine. I mean, to be fair, Dean Smith is a solidly experienced manager, probably be better yeah. suited for a Norwich team. that, if, if Norwich want to survive, they're probably better off with Dean Smith than Frank Lampard, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, Dean Dean Smith, I mean, Frank Lampard's very a very similar situation to Gerard, I guess you could say. Mm. Um, e- even though he's been at the top, I think they're a similar level of manager. Probably. Um, and I think with Lampard, there's an element of risk as far as he's not been in that situation before. He was with was it he was with Derby before, wasn't it? And then um that was um in a, a successful season in the championship. And then he went to Chelsea um, in a, obviously a team that's never going to be threatened by relegation. So if he came into Norwich and then was to get potentially relegated with Norwich, which is, well, I know it's still early days in the season, but if anyone, if you're putting money on anyone to go down at the moment, it probably is Norwich. Mm. Um, I think that's much more of a, a risk than Dean Smith. I think Dean Smith's got a higher chance of keeping them up and that's what Norwich fans want. And um, it will be interesting to see what happens down at Carrow Road. Um, losing Buendia for them this season was a big thing, even though he's not hit it off at Villa straight away, he was a crucial player for them, so um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens down there, um, but they've got a few talented youngsters, I remember watching Arsenal Norwich at the Emirates and 
Um, I think Max Ahrens is a player that is destined for bigger and better things. No disrespect mm-hmm. to Norwich again. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got Brandon Williams down there on loan at the moment from Manchester United. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy Gilmore again, another player. Um, but they they do just lack that that bit of firepower, that final bit of pa- firepower. Um, but they need to they need to build on their their win against Brentford. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll see what happens, and I, I think it's going to be very exciting an exciting race down there to see who can stay in the Premier League this season. And I don't think anyone down there is safe necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I thought, Lam, I mean, I mean, one thing you get with Smith, I think, when you go back to his Brentford days, when you go back to what he did at Aston Villa, he wanted to play mm. out from the back a progressive brand of football. I don't think he necessarily had the detailed philosophy that other coaches do with a, with a, with a plan and a system that's almost that's so clockwork and it does the job in almost every Premier League game. I think when you actually watched Villa play in the Premier League, there wasn't the same level of detail in those plans. There wasn't the same level of detail in those tactics, but primarily he does want to play out from the back in a progressive way. And that is exactly what Daniel Farker did. And it's exactly what many Norwich players have done yeah. Uh, yeah. For over the far career, which has been last of quite a number of years now. So with mm. Lampard and with Smith, I think you had two managers that, okay, they're not maybe up there with the elites in terms of intricate philosophies, but they do have the right principles and they do follow the same kind of ideals that, that Norwich want to, to follow, which is to play good football, to play out from the back and hopefully after all of that, have something to show for it, which would of course be Premier League survival. But even if Smith does come in, yeah. are Norwich re- there's no reason Norwich can't survive. But would mm. they be angry and frustrated at the manager if they didn't? Probably not, because everyone expects them to go down. But as I quite rightly got pulled up on Twitter, that sounds patronising. If they get someone in, they will want to survive. They will expect they can survive. But deep, yeah. deep, deep down, right now, it's looking unlikely. But you never know. We'll have to mm. see what happens. I think they've got someone who... I think with Smith, they've got a bit more hope than with Lampard because, like you say, would have been a new experience for Lampard. Smith's already done it with Villa once, twice. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, mm. um, he knows. Yeah, all there was controversy things. with Villa though. With the someone, someone looked away whilst the goal line technology wasn't working. So there was controversy there. There's always controversy, um, though, isn't there? A little bit but, along the way. Yeah, yeah, mm, yeah it's always going to happen. Uh, it always will. So yeah, that sort of rounds those those names off. Of course, we had as well uh, Antonio Conte just coming at Tottenham. We talked a little bit about this last week. He's Essentially, we've seen what a mammoth task he has on his hands. Essentially, yeah. he's got this international break to work with the players that haven't gone away on international duty. There's a few of those. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be need. There's going to need to be a lot of surgery, isn't there? I think if Conte is going to work wonders, and by surgery, I mean hundreds of millions of pounds worth. Yes. Yeah, and as as an Arsenal fan, and obviously covering Arsenal, trying to keep it neutral. But also, deep down inside, like it is slightly terrifying seeing Conte come to sure. the other side of North London. Um, the pedigree he's got, um, I just feel as well that um, the way that he left Inter, he wouldn't have come to Tottenham if he didn't have guarantees. Yeah, and I think those guarantees, like you said, are hundreds of millions of pounds over multiple seasons, which yep. is what Tottenham need um, if they want to be challenging for titles. And he wouldn't have come come to Tottenham if they didn't want to be challenging for titles. Um, and we all take the mick out of Tottenham. We all take 
say they bottle they bottle everything they never won anything and that's true to a certain extent but bringing in someone like Conte is only going to make their chances of winning something even higher um and you just look at Harry Kane's situation now and you think do you think he'll stay do you think he'll he'll look to is the grass always going to be green and now that Conte's come in could they potentially build something special I don't think it's a quick fix at all um I think he'll get he'll come in and they'll start playing better football but until they start challenging, I think for them to start challenging for the top four, to start challenging for the titles, you're talking maybe two, three, four years time. Yeah, and he probably won't be there in three, four years time if, if they've not if mm. they've not done it already. Potentially, he, yeah. He's impatient. He wants to win with him. It's an old squad as well. It's an aging squad, and mm. I think they need to sign some big players. Yeah, absolutely. Um, lasting word on Arsenal, then I suppose. <laughs> Obviously. You're here, Arsenal representation. Not, not in, ideally. I was going to get you on another week when Arsenal did yeah. have a bit more more to say. But here we are. You you touched on it at the start. Really has turned around. Mikel Arteta, manager of the month, yeah. I think, isn't he? From for the for the previous month, done a tremendous previous month, yeah, yeah, previous done, month, a, yeah. done a pre- tremendous job. Unbeaten since game week three, match week three. So um, four, yeah. four, four. Yeah, no, yeah, Brentford. So, Brentford, yes, Chelsea, yes. Man City, match Norwich, week yeah. four. Yeah, no, the first three were, were three defeats, wasn't it? So you yeah. quite a, quite a massive turnaround. Mm. You know, you look back at those three games though, and you do think with, with you do sympathise a bit with Mikel Arteta, given what he had to field in those first three games compared to what he was fielding from game week four onwards against Norwich. There was such a, I mean, I think I think I remember at the time that get the team against Norwich and the team against Brentford there were about seven changes. Completely yeah. new defense, new goalkeeper, mm. yeah, new attack as well. I mean, on, on the Brentford game, there was no Abamyang, no Lacazette, and then the defense was haphazard, and and Leno was struggling. Mm, I suppose when when you factor in all of that, and then all the changes come in, now it actually looks like Mikel Arteta does yeah. have a clue what he's doing. He is building something, albeit slowly. I don't think if I was to say to you now, realistic expectations, I don't think you'd be saying fourth, but you would at least say maybe top six. I think with Arsenal and with Mikel Arteta's Arsenal at the moment and how well Arsenal can do this season depends on how fit the squad can can remain and how fit the squad can stay. Um, Thomas Partey is a key player. Um, despite what everyone says and how everyone hates him, Granit Xhaka is a key player mm-hmm. um, to that squad and Arsenal are missing him at the moment. Um, Sambi Lokonga... And Ainsley Maitland-Niles are two very good backup options. But I think Partey and Shaka is that first-choice pivot when we start. Um, and when we when we play, and that's our first-choice team. Um, there was a lot of talk about, like you said, it was a completely different Arsenal side. The one that started the season, we had issues with COVID. There was an outbreak within the squad. Um, I believe Chelsea... Um, well, I think it was Manchester City. We played a back five as a one-off game and we had Sad Kolasinac in there. I know, yeah. Rob Holding, that. Pablo Mari, players that players that shouldn't be starting for mm. Arsenal, in my opinion. Mm. Um, and now we're starting to see a solid, this is who Arsenal is. But at the same time, I think Arsenal lack that full squad depth to challenge for the top four, just mm. because I feel like we're a Thomas Partey injury away or a Ben White or a Gabrielle injury away from dropping back into that kind of dangerous run of form that Arsenal were in before. Mm. 
Um, and there's some key players in there that need to stay fit. AFCON will be an interesting time, obviously having Abamyang, Nicolas Pepe, um, and Thomas Partey and Mar- well, El Neni not as key player, but I think the the main key ones are Abamyang and Thomas Partey going away. Lacazette um, though could pop in. Yeah, Lacazette will come in. Um, but there again, that's a lot of pressure on just Lacazette to stay fit for yes. however long AFCON is. Um, Lacazette's also been playing this kind of slightly deeper number role 10, yeah. in the number 10 role, which uh, he's really good at, I think. Um, but I think AFCON will pro- provide all kinds of challenges for all kinds of teams. You look at Liverpool, for example, Mane and Salah will go off to, to represent their countries for AFCON. So that will be tough for them. Um, but for, for Arsenal in this season... Um, the young players have really stepped up and it's really extremely refreshing and exciting to see um, Smithrow in particular. Yeah. What a season. Mm-hmm. I think he should, I think personally, he should have been in the England squad um, before he got called up in yeah. the original squad. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an exciting thing to see and um, exciting times to see, but how far Arsenal can finish the season and how well Arsenal can finish the season uh, just depends on, squad fitness and how fit everyone can remain. Um, Cause if that, if I'd say if that squad of who we have at the moment finishes the season with no major injuries, um, I do believe Arsenal can get top five. I do believe we um, they can do that potentially push definitely challenge for the top four. Uh, not saying necessarily they would finish there, but I do believe if Arsenal's that squad stays fit, then they can finish in the, the top five, but there is a very, interesting and exciting test coming straight after this international break, going to Anfield to play mm-hmm. Liverpool away. And uh, as a, as a football fan, not only just an Arsenal fan, I'm excited to see this defence be tested. This new look Arsenal defence be tested properly for the first time with Tommy Ashu, uh, Ben White, Gabriel, Tavares or Tierney um, up against some of the best attackers in the world. Well, at one of the best attackers in the world in Mo Salah, and Mane and just Liverpool in general and the Anfield atmosphere. So, yeah, really looking forward to seeing that and how how they managed to cope against uh, such a high-quality opposition. As am I. Uh, that, that, will be a, that will be an exciting game. It'll certainly put that unbeaten mm. run to test. Well, my thanks to you, Dan. I think we've covered quite a lot there. And that's another Varvel podcast football done. Varvel football podcast done. Words all over the place. It's international <laughs> break time. Please do, if you've not already, remember to subscribe, give us a review, give us a nice rating, nice ratings and reviews, make the reach go further. We would really appreciate it if you could do that. For all good football news, analysis, etc., go to varvel.com. And, yeah, join us next week. This should go out every Monday UK time. Every Monday, what the time available, there was one weekend, which I never actually mentioned, that was stuck in use due to some crisis train situation. <laughs> but most of the time it should be absolutely fine for Monday at 7 a.m. BST. So get that in your diary. Happy to have had you on, Dan. Are you enjoy that? Yeah, pleasure, mate. Thank you very much for having me on. Looking forward to the next one whenever that might fantastic, be. Fantastic, fantastic. All good stuff. So take care, everyone. Stay safe. Thanks for listening and see you right next week.